Every man has to come to that battleground of self-identity, fighting against the man he does not want to be, Goliath, or the man society and religion is forcing him to be, Saul. The Bible says David took off the armor of Saul and drew near to Goliath. He chose five smooth stones from a river. He used one. How many are left? Join this. Uh, we are back. We are taking our time to really dive into what are certain things that can hold us back, even though our calling qualifies us. What things that can happen in our lives that can take us away? or hold us back from where we want to be in God. Remember, biblical manhood is what I'm looking and pushing you to be a biblical man. I'm pushing you to be a biblical man. I'm striving myself to become a biblical man, biblical woman, Biblical womanhood, those are things that are on my mind. And I'm focusing on the individual part because collectively, I think we've done in a good job to be brothers and sisters. We failed in many places, but we've done great things together. And a lot of times because we're together that can overpower or overshadow what needs to be done on the individual level. And that's what I want to reach because people are trying to grow and people are trying to become better people. Matter of fact, mostly 90% of the time, that's something that you have to do for you. You can't depend on someone else to do that for you. There's a portion in a time in your life where it's, it's the influence of others that'll motivate you and push you. After that, it's just you. The disciples spent time with Christ. They, they were expecting Christ to be with them for a grip, for a minute. But he was like, I'll give you all three years. They didn't know that. He couldn't say that in the beginning because it would have felt like he's just leaving them. And a lot of times when people leave you, it feels like abandonment but it's not it's just the next season and the next season you have to prove who you are to yourself and who you prove you are to yourself in the following season is what's going to be used to help others there's a season in your life where you have to stand as an individual to face you. And that's a good thing. If you didn't get that season yet, dang, it's going to come later. The earlier, the better. There's a season in your life where you have to stand alone. I was reading a scripture yesterday in Ezra and Nehemiah. And I'm going back on those studies with Ezra and Nehemiah. And because they did the... Because they dealt with rebuilding and rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the the walls and the gates. And that's where I'm at in my life. I'm just trying to rebuild my own life. Um, there was a lot of great things that were built in my life. At the same time, a lot of things that were built, they broke down over a period of time. I'm trying to rebuild those things. And it's things, too, that I need to break down. 
rebuilding doesn't just mean, you know, making things rise up. But rebuilding also deals with breaking things down that grew, that shouldn't be there. And these next two, I want to do these two together um, so that we can understand them. It is, and I think they do work together, the disqualification of a priest. Remember, in your calling, and this can even affect you as a father or a mother. This doesn't have to necessarily be just church. And we're using that because of what we are, we feel our calling is in the kingdom. But at the same time, your ministry is at home. If you feel like you don't have a ministry in the church, you have a ministry in your home. And your life is a garden. You are responsible for that. And again, these are 12 things that can hold you back from reaching your potential with God, in God, and just in this realm or this world that God created. Whether you believe in him or not, you found yourself here. We spoke about being blind. We spoke about being lame. And remember, blindness is not being able to see. And when you do see, you see from a place of darkness. And from that place of darkness, you don't see. From a place of darkness, you see out of the perception of your imagination what you think to be, but it doesn't have to be real. When you're lame, lame represents not being able to walk, living a life that can't support who you're called to be, who you want to be. So because it's too heavy, it weighs you down. And it weighs you down so much you have to just, you really drag yourself around. And a lot of people are dragging. Their life is dragging. They're not taking it by the horns and then running with it. But they're dragging. Their spiritual life is dragging. Matter of fact, it's lagging for my, my video gamers. It's laggy. That's what that means to, to be lame. It's a lagger. <laughs> That's a term. The next two in the book of Leviticus, chapter 21, that can hold you back is number one is having a flat nose. What? Yeah, flat nose and superfluous. Superfluous. That's a that's a different type of word. Superfluous. It's a big word, sophisticated word, King James Bible word. Let me explain that. Superfluous. Can't lie, I'm practicing that word like ten times. Sorry, I'm lying. About a hundred times. Superfluous. <laughs> it's superfluous means to be extravagant. Like in our words today, to do too much. Like, yo, you ever someone like, yo, bro, you're doing too much. Let's start with flat nose. A flat nose is a deformity um, where it can, something could have happened to you and then it crushed your nose. Um may have to cut your nose part of it because something grew on it some you know sorry i don't want to get you know to i don't want to put the wrong images in your mind this early in the morning or this late but something could have happened to the, to make your nose deformed and what it does it affects your smell when you talk about the nose it's affecting your smell sometimes in war they cut people's noses off um that has a meaning to have a flat nose. Superfluous, it means to to be too much. Man, is that us, guys. That deals more with pride though. Let's take our time. 
you see, is a scripture that one of my brothers, he gave one time and he's actually about to get married in a couple of weeks. <laughs> We're in October, so you probably know who it is. Um, my boy Godson, just a little shout out. I'm, I'm happy and I'm proud. Um, he gave a scripture one time and I have to give credit like this, this, this gave me hope. He didn't write this scripture, but he said it and it, it did something to me in the book of Job, Job 14, look what it says in verse seven, Job 14, look what it says in verse seven, for there is hope of a tree. If it be cut down. That it will spring, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Verse 8, though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground. Verse 9, yet there is. Verse 9, yet through the scent of water, it will bud. And bring forth boughs like a plant. This represents hope. Job was a man that suffered a lot. He lost his family, was tempted to curse God. The Bible even says he sinned not with his mouth. It's funny it says that because that doesn't mean he didn't sin with his heart. There is still hope. You see, smell, scent represents hope. It's, it represents something coming. Um, when, you're, when your sense of smell work, you are able to connect with the environment in a different way. You're able to actually yes it's funny is your smell can create imagination your smell l lets you know what's around lets you know what you're near lets you know what you passed it it creates the environment you can close your eyes and by what you smell you you can create and when you lose that when you lose that smell, you begin to put things in their wrong places. A lot of people are putting their hopes in the wrong people and in the wrong places. Not everyone that smells good is good for you. In the Bible, one of the biggest things that God speaks on is the odor of his people. If they have a scent or an odor of death or an odor of life, that's very important because a, a lot of us don't realize the condition that we're in because we can't smell what's around us. We don't smell the odor that we're giving off. There is a hope for a tree that has fallen by the scent of water. Even though it dies, it will rise. That verse talks about hope. I want you to know that no matter what has happened to you, no matter if it happened 10 times, if you believe that you cannot overcome it, it's because your nose is broken. A broken nose means that your situation cannot change. A broken nose means that you believe you cannot change. A broken nose means you don't have enough faith to create an atmosphere. You, you can't even sense what God is putting around you. That is very, very dangerous 
Because that's when God moves, he moves in silence. And him moving in silence allows you to use other senses that your ears may not be able to detect. My name is Caleb. Caleb in Hebrew means heart. It means courage. Caleb is a leader. Caleb means heart. That's twofold. That means when Caleb does something that Caleb wants to do, he put his whole heart into it. It really means wholehearted. When I love someone, I love you wholeheartedly. At the same time, if I'm not banging with you, I'm not, I ain't banging with you. I got to work on that. I'm, I'm working on that. Trust me, I'm a, I'm a priest with some spots. <laughs> but also, Caleb means dog. What? Dog. Caleb means dog. In... In the culture where there's a shepherd and there's a pasture with sheep, a flock of sheep, most shepherds as they get older, because reality, we think of shepherds as old men. Shepherds were young boys, young men. Because to herd and to do all that work with sheep, it takes a, takes a lot of strain, a lot of energy. As the shepherd gets older, he normally likes to have a, a what they call a sheep dog, shepherd's dog, a dog that just helps bring in when he can't, when they're far away, just to bark them, just to direct them back to green pastures. He's not the shepherd, but when the shepherd speaks, he knows what the shepherd wants to say, and he just barks the sheep to their barn, to their pastures. And that's all I'm doing. Just barking. Here's the thing though. A dog. Strongest sense. Is his smell. A dog. A matter of fact animals. They can even smell fear. They can smell when you're afraid. And they use that fear once they sense that to even come at you. And it's an intuition that they have on their environment. And they even say dog is the most loyal animal. There are dogs that are still every day going to the burial site of their master, of their owner. Because death does not do them part. And a true Caleb, even if he is anybody that he's attached to, deep down inside, death cannot even separate them. No matter how far, can't. It's not about me. Dogs sense. They sense danger. They sense hope. They sense happiness and joy. They create the environment. They let you know what's going on. Some people, they don't know. They can't sense what's happening in their life because they lost that sense of smell. God is working in their life, but they can't see it because they're still stuck in the past. They're still stuck somewhere else, and they cannot see the glory of God today. And then they're hoping for something to happen tomorrow and God is working today. Smell, though the scripture says by the scent of what, listen, you don't smell the water tomorrow. You smell it today. Scent means awareness of how God is working today in your life. Someone that knows is broken, they can never testify of what God is doing in their life today. They cannot. If you're in that position, you're in trouble. You, you always talk about the past and you always talk about, you always got these great big plans of tomorrow, but you cannot speak of what is God doing today. Why? 
because you're not sensitive enough to that. How has God blessed you today? Look at your family. You're still alive. You're in the kingdom. You have a job. When you, when you can see what God is doing today, you have something called the oil of gladness that the Bible talks about. The oil of gladness. It comes from a heart of thanksgiving. Someone that says, God, I thank you for waking me up. Someone that cannot thank God for today will never walk in the blessings of tomorrow. Mark my words. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing today. If you cannot thank God for what's going on today, if you cannot even be, think of what he's doing today, you can't even see, then you pray, God, pull back the curtains and remind me where you took me from. Not what happened, but what you took me from, where you took me from. You create a bridge and go back and then you start worshiping God today. Your senses gives awareness. It makes God alive today. It doesn't make him a God in the past. It doesn't make him a God of the future, but he's a God of today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore sent. You can see him today. And I look, you some, some people, they're so attached to what God is doing in their life today. When you look at them, you can't even see the marks of the past. You can't even see a trace of what's happening in the past because they're overcoming daily. Because they can feel what God is doing. At the same time, why do they feel what God is doing? They can also be sensitive to this is not of God. Something is this danger here. This is not right. The smell, the nose, it, it shows a sixth sense. It shows discernment awareness of their environment yo i'm not in a good path i'm not in the right direction someone who cannot detect where they're at your nose is broken we'll come back superfluous something happened with the disciples God was using them. Jesus was using them. In, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 to 4, Mark 9, verse 33 to 36, and Luke chapter 9, verse 46. <laughs> Something is happening. There's, there's a rise. There's something, there's a debate going because when you, when you put a whole bunch of men together, a whole bunch of guys together, even boys, you put the males together, we're going to talk about something that deals with competition. It's in us. We're going to do something, discuss something where every man that's there is measured. It could be scriptures. It could be work. It could be finance. It could be sports. Like, it, it's some type of measurement. It's just in us. You put me with a whole bunch of guys that are like sports, I'm like, you're going to hear me say like, ain't none of y'all beating me in basketball. You're going to hear that. We're going to talk about ball. Nah, it's gonna be competitive. Alright, we're gonna play ball. Like anybody know are we balling? We studying or we balling? We talk we debating the word of God, like, nah, bro, you wrong. Oh, we it's it's in us. The disciples are the same way. They regular they men, they matter of fact, I'll be real with you. Those are boys. When I say boys, I mean young men in their teens. Jesus did not go and get 30 year olds. Jesus did not go and get 40 year olds. He went and got teens. How do I know this? I'm going to give you one example. Stephen. Stephen wasn't just there in the book of Acts. Stephen's with them from the jump. 
who's just one of the disciples of the 70 disciples there was 12 that became apostles those 12 that was closest to jesus amongst the 12 there was three that was close to jesus amongst the three there was one that was the closest you decide who that who that one was that's a good debate too sorry see it's in us <laughs> um Stephen wasn't just hanging around with grown a whole bunch of old men. He was being hanging around with the, his generation. So he was doing. The one that was the oldest was probably Peter. He's probably the only one that was married too. Some debate if Apostle Paul was married, he came later on. But these were young guys. You can only change the world with youth. The older men are stuck in their ways. You need young, fresh blood. Like a pastor tells me. One of my mentor pastors says that an area that is dying needs young, fresh blood. What are these guys doing? They with Jesus. They with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. What do you think they're talking about? Who's the greatest? <laughs> and when you read the book of Luke, it's good. It starts off because I, I love the Luke one because it gives you some more background. But you got to kind of put it all together. The one in Luke chapter 9, it's verse 46. But you got to start from verse 1. Jesus sends the disciples out and it says... I give you power and authority over all devils to cure disease. Say like, oh, word, we got power and we got authority. Oh, why? They go now to really cast out demons and they come back like, who cast out more? Because they're not spiritual yet. Jesus lets them go, 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 go ahead. They go out. Verse 38. This guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I went to your disciples and none of them could help me. They look around like, hold on. Y'all went to him too? Because men are not going to talk about their weakness and their failures. Remember Naomi's sons? Malon and Shilion, failure and weakness, men that must die. This is such a beautiful lesson superfluous this is important that this man comes that god allows this man to come to jesus because they don't come back and tell jesus the details of how they failed matter of fact you're not about to tell your boys if you're trying to be the greatest that you fail this man comes that's crazy they don't come and tell jesus that this man says like yo your disciples, they ain't got what you say they got. They all looking like, oh, snap. For real? When you expose a man like that in public to his father, to his leader, to his mentor, you belittle him. You make him feel like he's nothing. This is where Jesus wanted to meet them. This was discipleship. Discipleship wasn't just in what they could do. Discipleship is also in what they could not do. Verse 40, I went to the disciples to cast him out and they could not. Not one of them. A man that needed healing for his son. So now you have a father that went to other men and the men that he went to could not even help his son, a younger man. So those men feel like, dang, I can't even lead. Like, I thought, I, I thought because you said it, I had it. Yes, you can believe that you have it. But if you don't have something that is attached to that belief, your belief in faith will get weakened. 
He brought him to the man of mans. The guy of all guys. Jesus. Jesus took him and just healed him. And the Bible says in verse 42, and they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. <laughs> Jesus then speaks and says, guys, I'm about to die soon. They're like, hold on. The Bible says they didn't even understand what he was talking about. They were still stuck in what they couldn't do. And a lot of times when us young men, we attempt something, another father figure does it. And then he's like, all right, I'm out. He talks about something else. He switched the subject to us. We're still stuck in how he could do it and I can't. He gave me the same power. Like, why am I failing? And then we compare ourselves to the leader. I'm going to say something that's very, very sensitive. Listen carefully. The disciples were called to be like Jesus. But the disciples were not called to be Jesus. You're not called to be the man that you're following. You're called to be like Christ. They wanted to be the man. They wanted to be the Lord. But they were called to be the servant. They were called to be the son of a God. Not God. And a lot of us, man, we are looking to how to be the God of an area. The it, the man. And when we come short, we think that we are not fully a man. And I want you to know that Jesus was perfectly fine being a man and not his father. He was okay with that. And you have to be okay with that, my men that are hearing me. It is okay not to be your father. It is okay not to be the man, your pastor. That's fine to not be the leader that's in front of you because you're called to be the best version of you. You're called to be the perfect version of yourself. And they will see Christ in that. They will see the Son of God in that. Then they start disputing in verse 46 because it was already in their spirits and now it's just coming out in verse 46 and they arose and reasoned amongst themselves which of them should be the greatest so jesus sent them out in verse one with authority and power sounds like a mistake they don't on purpose he did it to expose themselves to each other and guess what it came out because he already knew it was in their spirits in their hearts and they're like, yo, who's the greatest amongst us? This is what they're trying to do. When Jesus is, when Jesus go back, who's the leader? And who's number two? Then who's number three? Then they start, they want to rank. And a lot of times, that's what we do as young men. We're looking for rank. We're looking who is the number one, the number two. We're looking for who's number three, who's... And you find yourself in, you're looking for where you fit in the rank. And a lot of times we're looking, we're searching for our giftedness because we think our giftedness ranks us. Sisters, it's for y'all too. Your rank is not in your gift. Your rank is in your calling. Here it is. Called and elect. You have a high calling. That's your rank. Beloved, that's your rank. Saint, that's your rank. Brother, that's your rank. Sister, that's your rank. I've been loving this scripture, simple scripture. You know what it says? We be brethren. Just brothers and sisters. What greater rank is there to just be a child of God? A son of God? The disciples are fighting for this. Then Jesus has to tell them, like, listen, um, go get me a child. That's the lesson. Go get a child. 
Verse 47, Jesus perceiving the thought of their heart took a child and set him by him. That right there was enough. You are called to be a child. You're not called to be childish. We confuse that. A lot of our men are immature. They're childish. Being like a child means to be humble. Being like a child means to be impressionable. Being like a child means willing to accept that you need to still grow up. You have a lot of learning to do. Your experience doesn't matter. There's someone that needs to lead you. When Jesus was talking to Peter, he says, you've led yourself your whole life. There's going to be a time where someone's going to take you where you don't want to go. You know why? He's saying you're going to have to become as a child in the spirit of God. Because once he's done, he wants them to be led by the spirit. And I'm telling you, brothers, us in our pride wants to lead the spirit. Even when we become ministers and pastors and leaders of an assembly, we tend to lead the people in our direction rather than learning how to be even a child to God in his spirit. And we raise up men to lead instead of learn. We lead men to stand instead of sit and be led by the Spirit. True manhood is not measured in what you can do. It's also measured in what you can't do. It's also measured in being led. You're not just driven away and tossed to and fro by any wind of doctrine, no. But because you have a sense of the Spirit, your nose works. You can sense the Spirit of God then you're not prideful enough not to be led by that spirit. I want to give one last example of this in the Bible of a story of this man that we all love and cherish that we kind of maybe teach wrong. In 2 Kings chapter 18, all the way to chapter 20, this, this is man, a great king. His name was Hezekiah. Let me tell you something. Hezekiah did that which was good in God's eyes. During a dark time in Israel, in chapter 18 of, of 2 Kings, verse 3 says, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 4 says, He broke down the brazen serpent that Moses had made. Oh my gosh. Look how God ties this up. This ties in with our last episode of the pool of Bethesda. Hold on. Why do he have to break the brazen serpent? This is in the book of Kings. You know what happened? God, you're helping us. Here's what happened. The brazen serpent that was in the wilderness, that cured them, that healed them, they kept that serpent in the promised land, in Canaan land, and people still was worshiping the serpent for healing. This is why, if you look closely at the medical field, the ambulance, you'll see in the symbol or some emblems, you'll see the symbol of a stick or a staff and a serpent wrapped around. There's a reason. It actually comes from the Bible, the story of when Moses raised up a serpent, a brazen serpent. And the people still in the book of Kings was worshiping it. But says Moses broke it down. Why would that be a good thing? Hold on. The thing that God established in the wilderness that brought healing, Moses broke it down during his reign. You know why? 
what could bring you healing yesterday can bring you curses today. The way God moved and brought you healing last year, God may not bring it this way, but if you still try to find healing in that person, God may use me to help you in 2005, but God's not asking me to help you now. And you come and try to worship me, that needs to be broken. We're looking for healing in all the wrong places. People are still looking for healing in a place that healed them years ago. And God been left that place. Been left that place. They were still worshiping something God no longer was using. How many of us are still attached to someone that God no longer is using to heal us anymore? How many are still attached to a place that is not bringing the healing that it's supposed to, but we're just attached to the memory of the past? That's what Israel was doing. They were not sensitive enough. That's why I'm tying it together to how God was moving that day. So it killed them. And they put them in a dark place. Instead of going to the brazen altar, to offer a sacrifice, they will go to a brazen serpent to look for healing. And a lot of people are like, they want to get healing faster or before they even want to repent. They don't want to go to God. They just want what God can offer. Moses had to destroy that ideology. Stop seeking what he can do. Seek who he is through repentance. Earlier I said something can weaken your belief if it's not walked with it. That is pride. Humility raises up a nation. Pride destroys it. It said that he walked with God. He did what God wanted him to do. Fast forward it like we know the reason why everybody knows his story is because of what happened later on in his life in chapter 20. Hezekiah gets sick. This is a man that's walking with God and it shows you he gets sick. So you can be a uprighteous woman and or man and you get sick. That's life because you're human. Hezekiah gets sick and he's about to die. He's like, hold on, what? Me of all people? I'm about to die? No. Verse 1. In those days Hezekiah sick unto death. And the Lord said unto him, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Hold on, what? It says that he's walking upright. What does he have to set in order? Set thy house. So Hezekiah turned his face and prayed to the Lord. And here's what he said. I beseech you, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. Hezekiah started to cry too. He wept. And it came to pass, afore Isaiah was gone in the middle of the court, the Lord came to him and saying, you know what, turn again. Because Isaiah is the one that brought the message to Hezekiah saying that you're going to die. So when Hezekiah went to go pray, God said, you know what? He said, Isaiah, go back. Go to Hezekiah in verse 6. I heard your prayer. All right, I'm going to heal you. I will add 15 years to your life. Don't worry. 15 years, go. He's like, yes. We take this as when we go to God, we can bring before God what we do. Be very careful. That's not what God is showing. Even though Hezekiah did all that good, Hezekiah thought because he did good, that qualified him as a good king. He felt he wasn't qualified to die yet because of all the good that he did and a lot of us feel like because of what you've done in the church how much you've helped people 
what all these things you've done that you shouldn't suffer. You shouldn't die. This shouldn't happen to you. That's what's holding you back. Pride. You, yo, that's you too much. You're thinking too highly of yourself. You're thinking, again, you're thinking more of yourself than what you are. You're thinking that you're more than human. Be careful. And a lot of us has that trait in us. Adam and Eve did not fall until. You see, when, when the serpent said, this is going to be good for food. They're like, that's all right. When they said, this is going to be beautiful to your sight. They're like, so what? Everything looks beautiful. But once he, the serpent said in Genesis chapter 3, that you shall be like gods. You shall be wise. He's like, hold on, what? But they didn't realize that there was already that. The enemy offers you something that you already are, youth. The world is offering you something that you already possess. When you're a child of God, you already possess the earth. That's what Jesus was showing us in his temptation. How the enemy going to tempt Jesus with everything that he created? Because in our flesh, we forget who we are. That gray area, we lose our identity. And we identify with something that we're not. I want everyone to know you are the son and daughter of a king. Hezekiah felt that he did enough before God. For God to not allow him to die. God said, okay, that's who, all right, you got it. You the man. All the things that you does because of you, you strong, okay. And Hezekiah is bringing before God himself as if God don't know who he is. All right, God adds 15 years. During that 15 years, Hezekiah does so much. I can't lie. Because it's, because of this episode is not dealing with Hezekiah directly. I mean, his whole, his life just by itself, I won't get to details. But there's a lot of things that Israel didn't have. It's actually during that 15-year period, he built those things for um, Israel to actually help them. A lot of things he did that was great during those um, 15 years. But guess what? He got sick again. In verse 12, it says the king of Babylon heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Now, remember, Babylon is not a friend to Israel. But Hezekiah forgets that because also his nose is broken. And that's what pride does. Pride also breaks your nose. It, it doesn't give you a sense of who you are and your real height. Pride makes you feel taller than what you are. So you start smelling yourself too much. So he forgot that Babylon is actually an enemy. So Hezekiah sees the king of Babylon come and visit because he's sick. Verse 13, and when the king came... We're in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 13. The king came and Hezekiah hearkened unto him. And Hezekiah showed him when the king came. He showed him all the house of his precious things. Again, I repeat, all his house. The silver, the gold, the spices, the precious ointment. All the house and the armor in the house. He showed him. Where his treasure was. The Bible says. There was nothing in the house. Or in the dominion. That Hezekiah did not show the king of Babylon. Remember. Hezekiah is the king of Judah. A lot of us. We fall. For the fact that. Someone that God separated from us called us in a time when we were weak to show some support. And in that, you show them all the treasures of your life in your heart. They just text you. 
and you're already pouring out your whole heart to them. Be careful. Your pride can make you lose your discernment. One thing my wife told me that was so helpful. She said, I'm sorry this, this episode is a little bit extended, but I think this is very rich for us. She said, Kate, she said, babe, because I was telling you about some people that I meet who starting to amend and fix things. I'm, I've been getting better with a lot of people that we were not talking in the past. She said, do you have, but while you're getting cool with them, um, don't forget there was a reason why God separated y'all. And I was like, oh, snap. Don't just start opening your heart. Don't make yourself that vulnerable again. And I want to say that to you too. It's because somebody comes back in your life. You have to make yourself so vulnerable. When you keep reading, it says that Isaiah the prophet in verse 14 came to Hezekiah and said, Hey, Hezekiah, God sent me here to check on you. You good? He's like, yeah, I'm good. You know, I'm just sick. He's like, all right. Did you have any visitors today? And last week? He's like, nah, I don't think so. He's like, you sure? He's like, nah, not, not that I can recall. Now, this is a prophet. You're going to lie to him? He's like, I, I just seen, it looks like, you know, those camels were from Babylon. Those horses, those are like Babylonians. Those are Babylonians, right? Like those those banners. Oh, yeah. Yo, we cool now. You know how God be preaching about forgiveness and love and like for love your enemy. And yeah, you know, so we we good now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we just tied our flag together. Yeah, I mean, he blood, I'm crip. Yeah, I mean, we just we tied the flag. Now we it's blue and red. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, Haitian. We both red, blue, Haitian. We good. Yeah, I mean, we we good. Oh, that's good. You, you practicing the laws of God? Yeah, that's what I'm doing. You know, I'm loving my enemy. Is that all you did? You just forgave him? Yeah, yeah. That's all? So what y'all talk about? Nothing. We're just walking around, talking. Oh, you sick, but you had the energy to walk. Oh, I, I'm king. I had my boys, you know, ride me around. Oh. Where'd y'all go? Just walking around the palace. Would you show him? Why you asking all these questions? I just want to know. Hezekiah pauses. Because he, look he looks and he understands what Isaiah is saying. Because now he's talking man to man, gift to gift, ministry to ministry, prophet to king, man to man. What did you do? Where did you take him? Hezekiah closes his eyes. And with shame said, I showed him everywhere. Isaiah said, you ask God for, for more time to die in a worse way than you would have 15 years ago. 15 years ago, you would have died in glory. Now you're going to die in shame. Hold on, what? How? Your enemy did not come to see you because you were sick. Your enemy came to see you because you were weak. Hezekiah starts crying. Isaiah says, because you showed him everywhere, in your house, because you think you invincible, right? You Hezekiah, you doing all this for Israel, who gonna stand against you? The Syrians are gonna come, but because Hezekiah's king, the Syrians can't come. Babylon, they, 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 not, they don't wanna fight you, why? Because you, you're sick and not, they just came just to visit because they didn't realize that you the big dog. My friend, that was a tactic.
And because your nose is broken, and because you're prideful, Babylon knows all your weaknesses and all your strengths. They counted every single armor you have. And that's how you will be destroyed. Babylon is going to come and destroy you. A lot of us are not just walking unhealed and prideful. We're on the verge of being destroyed. Because we exposed our heart. Because someone acted like they can heal. Like they can help. And they left you and you're still in the same condition. Hezekiah died a worse death. 15 years later because he accepted to allow someone else to walk all up in their heart and see all their treasures sisters be careful brothers be cautious Psalm 75 verse 4. I say to the boastful. Do not boast. And to the wicked. Do not lift up your horn. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 to 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty men boast in their might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord. Who practices steadfast love. Judgment. Justice. Righteousness in this earth. For in these things I delight. Declares the Lord. And don't forget. Where we started. The way of the wilderness. The way of the wilderness is to, to check one of many things. But one of the biggest things it says, to, it says to humble thee. A Philistine is prideful. The way of the wilderness will dry up the pride. I encourage us men. Let's do what Peter did. This one is a little bit deeper. Jesus saw Peter and the disciples in chapter 9 fighting who's the greatest. Later on, John says Jesus did something. John says Jesus, while they were just eating, stood up, girded his loins, took a bucket and washed their feet. And they're like, Yo, what are you doing? And he said, the greatest in the kingdom is him that serves. Today I'm serving my gift to my generation. This podcast is not meant to lift me up. But I'm pouring water on someone's feet today Jesus took Peter's feet you know how difficult it is to wash a man's foot most men don't want their feet to be seen 
by another man. For another man to hold your feet, his foot represented a place of weakness, represented his pride. Jesus saying, let me wash it. And he says, if I don't cleanse you, you will not be a part of me. Jesus says, he said, you will not be a part of me. Peter says, what? Then wash me whole. Where can I go? Wash me so I can be a part of the body of Christ. I don't need to be the head. But let me just be a part of the body. Glory. I want to invite you. Let's go on this journey together using the four stones. Remember, being spiritual is not just doing what the Bible says alone, but it's becoming the very word himself. Hallelujah.